Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Coming to you from Eggplant Studios in downtown Toronto, this is Jim Rats and Joints with Javon Shepard, Andy Routens, and Dan Gladman. Jim Rats and Joints is brought to you by Henderson's Brewery. The best beer is the beer you love. For producer Dan Wong and myself, Jeff Cole, let's rack it up, Danny G. One of the all-time Canadian Jim Rats, a very good friend of mine, is joining us today. Mr. Sherman Hamilton on the podcast along with Javon Shepard and Andy Routens who's in his home. He's with us on Skype or Google or something. He's not in the room, but he is with us. And it's basically a veritable who's who of Canadian national team members, people who I've known and worked with over the years. I want to start by welcoming Sherm. Thank you so much for being with us today. Oh, it's a pleasure to be here, man. This is awesome. Familiar faces. Good to see you as well. It's been a minute. It, it's been it's been a little bit of time. I used to traveling across the United States and Canada with you. Haven't had the opportunity to do that in a while. The world kind of came to a standstill since I last saw you. But uh, you know, here we are. The NBA bubble happened. I'm sure that was a different experience for you. Um, for those listening outside of Canada, Sherm is a broadcaster uh, in the Toronto area, covers the Toronto Raptors, covers the NBA, Sportsnet, NBA TV Canada, little TSN radio. TSN radio, yeah. So he, he basically does it all. When, it, when you cover basketball in Canada, you're on every dial. That's radio, right. television, <laughs> you go everywhere. So, you know, we're, we're carving out our niche here as a little podcast. Um, we're, the NBA Finals start tonight, so we're here recording the afternoon of Game 1, the LA Lakers and the Miami Heat, and there's no better place to start off. Uh, Sherm, why don't we start by going team by team? So let's start with the LA Lakers. I think that they're the favorite going into this. How do you kind of handicap their chances of winning the 17th NBA title in Lakers franchise history? Well, I think obviously the Lakers have more talent when you look at it on paper. Um, LeBron James, to me, is still the best player in the world. Anthony Davis is playing like he's the second best player in the world. Uh, the Lakers, to me, have everything that you want to win a championship. But nobody expected Miami to be here. And to me, that is a significant factor because whatever it is that got them here, I don't think the Lakers have. And can that overpower what the Lakers have in terms of talent? I can't say it will, but I will say that Miami's here for a reason. And don't think that it's just a cakewalk because they don't have the star power on paper that the Lakers have. Do you agree with that, Shep? Is there something that the Lakers are maybe missing that Miami has that the Lakers don't have? 
I think, you know, when you're looking at the Lakers, the Lakers obviously, like Sherm said, have the names on paper. But if you're looking at, you know, the broader picture and a, and a bigger scope, Miami is a, is a deeper team. You know, the team pretty much plays with a eight, nine-man rotation. and Sorry, nine-man rotation, and eight of those guys are in double figures. So that just goes to show the depth and the amount of, you know, impact that each of those players have on the game. So I think, you know, and they really don't have, I don't think the Lakers play with the, the same intensity that Miami does at this point. So it's just a different, it's a different team, a different makeup. And I think Miami has more synergy from, you know, the head on down. Like from, we're talking about from Pat Riley down to the last man on, on the bench. Not to add, you know, that ninth man in that rotation is Igodala. He's been, you know, six consecutive finals so far. So that's still an important, yeah. that, for that mentorship, that leadership is, is something that you have to take heed to as well. Hey, Andy, I, w- I want to bring you in on this. And what, what I'm sensing from Shep and Sherm here is that Miami might have an edge going in. Do you feel the same way? Oh, I think that with their competitive nature, they have, uh, they definitely have an edge. Um, you know, it's interesting kind of piggybacking on what Sherm said. Uh, it's kind of that team that has super chemistry versus, you know, a super team in itself. Uh, you know, it's the legacy chasers versus the gym rats. And I, and I love the way that this series is being built. Um, it's a business trip for the overachievers, you know, who, who in their right mind are, are taking what's theirs through their blood, sweat, and tears and that heat culture. Um, but what I love is, is the overall narrative of this is, is the, uh, you know, LeBron versus Pat Riley. You know, they have a, a, a major history there. And Pat Riley's still holding a seemingly you know, uh, resentful uh, standpoint, you know, from LeBron's abrupt exit in Miami. And, uh, you know, I think that this is his, his time to prove that he can get back to the top of the mountain without LeBron. And, you know, if LeBron wins, he says, you know, the only thing, you know, only tangible that you need is, is LeBron James to win a championship. So it's going to be interesting to see if the, if the uh, you know, the heat culture and that phrase continues to uh, ring true and, and uh, if that can get them another championship. But I think they do have a competitive edge. It is amazing how in basketball there always seems to be that some sort of old relationship or old rivalry that that comes to a head in the, in the biggest moments and for the like you said Andy for Riley versus LeBron but I still have to think especially the way LeBron is playing Shep you mentioned on paper but I mean come on in a in a closeout game against Denver LeBron had a like a 38 point triple double. Sherm, you said he's he's still the best basketball player. I don't think there's any question about it. And as we generally talk about in the NBA in the playoffs, the team with the best player wins and it does look like the Lakers do have the best two players and if you if you just go to Xs and Os and to basketball, it, it is fair to to look at the Lakers as the favorite and expect that they're going to win the series, no? Well, yeah. I mean, the Lakers are supposed to win the series based on the talent and having the best player in the world. I think what people are are thinking is that this is going to be a cakewalk for the Lakers. I don't see them running over Miami like that. They kind of ran over Denver, really. They did. They did run over Denver. As good as Denver was, and shout out to Jamal Murray, who was absolutely off the charts. Kitchener's finest. Yeah, come on, man. He was he was Thanks, ridiculously Vince. good throughout the playoffs. Nicolo's not bad either, just saying. But I think the thing I was trying to accentuate was Miami has that that rough around the edges factor. It has that that grit, that griminess. This is a team of guys that just 
are trying to prove themselves every time they're on the floor. And they're led by the ultimate underdog in Jimmy Butler that's as skilled as, as pretty much 99% of the league. So we're looking at a group of guys that are hungry, some young guys that are playing with some confidence that you rarely see in rookies. And then you look at a guy like Bam Adebayo who is just improving every day. And now the challenge is Kentucky against Kentucky. Bam versus, you know, whether he can beat the brow now. I mean, this is one of those matchups that he's going to want to prove that he's on that level. So I just think that Miami has a lot of guys who are hungry and looking at this as an opportunity. You know, back in the day, Javon knows this, when we see a guy who's better than us or a guy who gets a lot of chatter, we say it's time to eat. Like, it's time to Uh eat some food. You know what I mean? Because it's being set up for you. I think Miami's looking at the Lakers and saying it's time to eat. It's time to go after them and show everybody that L.A. and the glitz and glamour and the talent and all of that stuff on the roster has something to do with the fact that Miami doesn't like that and they don't operate like that. They're on a different schedule. It would be amazing if if this series was taking place outside of the bubble in these two glitzy, shiny cities and, you know, LeBron coming into Miami. Not Not that Miami's audience is really known as one of the uh, more outgoing crowds there is. But, you know, I keep trying to talk about the Lakers, Andy, and these guys just want to talk about the Miami Heat. <laughs> Let, let's go to the LeBron factor, and, and I think that here he is, and I believe it's his 17th season, and he is just so brilliant at this game. And whenever it's the NBA Finals, the legacy question comes up with LeBron. And I'm looking at it two ways here. It's his 10th NBA Finals, which, I mean... Sure, and we were at the 2019 NBA Finals. Yeah. Once was pretty damn good, just feeling it, right? <laughs> You're right. For this guy to be in it 10 times, the the thing is, if he wins, he's 4-6, and six, and there's the chatter's going to come up with the, the comparison to MJ. But if they lose... No comparison. It, if he was to comparison. lose a 7th NBA Finals, it, it, almost, it almost doesn't even compute as a sentence to think that 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 even could be possible to get there and lose seven times would kind of make him the ultimate Cinderella. Um, but, a- Andy, I guess the question is, what is the impact on LeBron's legacy, and is he still really the best player in the world? Look, as far as as far as GOAT comparisons, I think he needs this ring to be even in that conversation uh, with, with, with Jordan. Uh, anything is possible. I think as long as you have LeBron on your team, you have you know, more than enough talent to win the championship. It's a very possibility, a very real possibility that he can win, uh, ride the momentum and use their team chemistry to bully the way past the Lakers. But barring some major decline in his physical stature over the summer, LeBron will still be the best player to date that is alive in this game. Uh, there isn't a player who can match his playmaking ability, the ability to read the floor, his defensive prowess. Um, you have, you know, multiple players in the league that can attest to that. Um, and he just changes the game with the, with the way he's able to read, uh, especially, you know, as we saw in the last series against Denver, you know, when he wanted to switch on Jamal Murray in late-game situations. You know, it's winning time. That's what LeBron says. And when it's winning time, that's when he steps up. He still ranks third in points scored all-time, you know, eighth in assists. And this season he's averaging 25 and a league-leading 10 assists. So it's hard to it's hard to compromise those stats in terms of his goal. You know, talk, but I think he's still going to be one of the greatest of all time and the greatest player to play the game today, uh, even if he doesn't win. And it, it's funny, Shep, because last week when we were 
in this room talking, we were having the debate, is, is LeBron even the MVP of his own team right now? You know, we had just come off the game where Davis hit the game-winning three, and really Davis was putting up more points per game and, and was looking like the, the dominant character. But, I mean, you, you have to say at this point LeBron is, is still the class of, of the sport. I, th- I think, you know, LeBron is definitely the most valuable player, um, AD, or it could go vice versa. AD could be your most valuable player. LeBron could be your most important player. But, I, you know, just to tag along with, with um, what AR is saying, you know, it's it's too that question that he asked earlier is, is twofold because if you're talking about GOAT having that conversation, no, I don't think LeBron is in the Jordan in that category yet in that conversation. But if you're talking about today being the best player alive, yes, because if you think about it, 10, 10 finals appearances, right? To for teams to be successful, um, your best player, your, your best player on your de- on your team has to be the best player on the floor, and that that translates to success. And you see, that just him being there for t- ten times in itself says enough. So yeah, he is going to be, you know, whether he wins tonight or not, or wins the series or not, he's going to be the the best player alive. You know, when LeBron played all those years for the Cavs, Sherm, and I was working with you on the Raptors broadcasts, I did not like him. He was just too good. And the Raptor, I, I used to say the Raptors were playing a different game because LeBron had had something going there with, with Cleveland that was, it, it just. It was it was like a different approach to the sport, but I have to say, in in the years since, I really love what LeBron's done off the court as a leader in his in his communities in the United States, and really, I, I think he's such a such a great voice in the world. And you know, now he's with the Lakers, and sure, quick question. I'm going for the Lakers here. You've seen him close up a lot. Have you figured out what the hell he's looking at when he's getting up and down the court? He'll make make a pass, and he's just looking out the corner of his. He'll be running back on defense and just looking out the side of his eye, looking to the stands. And what is that all about? Yeah, we don't. We never figure out what those computers are doing. Okay, okay, like, okay I've okay, never okay, cracked okay. open the hard drive a computer right. and figured it out. And right. guys like LeBron and like have those kind of minds for the game. You have no chance at figuring out what he's computing when he's on the floor because <laughs> okay. it's light years ahead of anything we can comprehend, right? And that's what the great ones do. They make it look easy, but they're always processing everything that's happening around them, and that's the amazing thing, and that's why we admire them so much. Yeah, and you say you know the term great one, and, and really the only comparison I can think of to LeBron is, is outside the sport, and it's Wayne Gretzky. Mm. Just... Two eyes here, two eyes there, two eyes in the in the back of your head. Just they they have this three sixty vision of what's happening. They know what the other athletes on both teams are going to do before the other guy even knows how to do. It. And I think your kind of computer simulation <laughs> comparison r- really sums up. It's like a video game to these guys. At, mm-hmm. at least the way we might play a video game. And by the way, I played NBA two K a couple of months ago with my, <laughs> my cousin AJ Gladman, and man, that game is good. Is it? Yes, I'm I had a video played, guy. I'm not I a video game played guy. in video games, and I don't even want to say how long. And man, they, I was playing a, a hard top. You pick your touch of video three game. on yeah. three with with your three all time players. I think I had like Kobe, MJ, and Bill Russell. You didn't lose, did you? I did not. Well, wow. this kid was good. He played a lot more. <laughs> he had a nice team too. He had LeBron, Durant, and Shaq. Okay, okay. that's that's a question. <laughs> Um, sure. Let let's stay with the Lakers because even though it really is a two man team, it's still a five man game, and there have been players, veteran players, who really have made um, an impact 
for the Lakers th- throughout the playoffs. And to me, it's Rajon Rondo yeah. and then, shockingly, Dwight Howard. Do one or both of them um, have an opportunity in the finals to affect the series? And, you know, which, which one of these players is more important to the Lakers in this matchup? I think Rondo is because Rondo has the ball in his hands. And if you look at the way the Lakers play, LeBron has no problem giving the ball to Rondo and saying, go ahead, do your thing. And when LeBron gives you that green light, all of a sudden now that free flow of the offense allows LeBron to play off the ball. And if you're trying to stop the ball and then LeBron gets it in the corner and he's in attack mode, you've got a problem. So I think Rondo's decision-making ability, his ability to just make plays for everybody else, even for LeBron, that gives him the easy bucket, that he doesn't have to grind it out every time. And remember, Rondo's a champion. He's He's got one of those computers for a brain when it comes to moving the basketball and making plays and seeing the floor. So I just think that he brings an element that is really going to help a stingy defense in Miami have to react to him, have to make decisions, just not slack off of him. And what we noticed in the last series was that he made shots. He just made enough shots to keep the defense honest. And that was the knock against Rondo. If he ever learned to shoot the basketball half decently, with the way he passes it, he's going to be a problem. Now he's got LeBron on the floor, and he's making enough shots, and he's still moving the basketball. I just think he has the most chance to impact it because I think Miami's going to eliminate Dwight Howard's ability to stay on the floor. They're going to play small. They're not going to allow Dwight to stay on the floor because they're going to put him in situations where he's closing out the three-point line, and they're just going to bust him up off the dribble. Even Bam will attack him off the dribble, and beat him with his quick so Dwight is going to struggle I think in this series but I think Rondo has a real chance to be effective in this series Shep I'm guessing you're going to mostly agree with Sherm here because you you've been touting Rondo in the in the past few weeks and I'll, I'll admit I didn't think he would have the durability to get through this let alone the impact that he's having but it he does kind of take some of the pressure off even though LeBron is leading the league in assists I feel like Rondo kind of triggers the offense and takes some pressure off LeBron. He's a natural facilitator. So I think when you have a guy like that and you have, you know, any combination of AD, Dwight or McGee, you know, putting pressure above the rim, it makes it elevates everybody else's game because now you can find guys in the corner. Guys can hit shots, Caldwell Pope, Caruso, um, you know, and then obviously you have a threat like LeBron. If he's anywhere on the court, that's that's a problem. So, yeah, I think, you know, Rondo in this series is going to, well, since he's been back, has really made an impact, and even more so in this series, just his ability to find guys and just put pressure, especially because Miami likes to change defenses up a lot. So, you know, the fact that he's hitting shots is also going to help because Miami does like to go zone here and there. So if he can hit a shot here or there just to keep the defenses honest, then it, it'll bode well for them. Got to be satisfying. Go, go yeah, ahead. I just wanted to add to that. Rondo is a leader. Yeah. And, and when you think about championship basketball, he helped lead the Boston Celtics to a championship. With all the veterans that were on his team, Hall of Famers, Rondo was a key cog in helping them win a championship. You bring that to a team like the Lakers that has one of the ultimate leaders in LeBron. Listen, Rondo's leadership is so effective as a secondary guy that he can run a team with LeBron on the floor. And leaders rarely step back to other people unless they respect their leadership. Mm -hmm. And LeBron has 
said to Rondo, as you can see in the play, he's like, look, I trust your leadership. Do your thing. Yeah, and and that's that's a great point. I mean, if this guy could lead Kevin Garnett, Paul Pierce, Ray Allen as basically a rookie, or maybe he was a second-year player at the time. If you can lead KG, you can lead anybody. Absolutely, yeah. yeah. KG would be tougher to manage than LeBron as as a as a teammate. You know, I I just I have to feel like this is such a sweet redemption for Rondo and Howard. It's been so many years for both of them since they've been in the NBA Finals. They've both been through so much in their careers on and off the court. Uh, To get back to this moment has to be amazing for them, and I'm sure they're going in planning to contribute in in any way they can. Andy, let's bring you back in. i got to admit, I'm really missing you not being in the room here with us today. Um, So let's start you out with, with the Miami story now. What do you think they need to do what what are their strengths that they could pull off the upset and win four games here? Well, it's going to be interesting. I think they, they, they're going to play their zone, which I think is really going to benefit them uh, in terms of LeBron not being able to pick them apart as easily uh, with his man-to-man prowess and his basketball IQ. Uh, you know, it's going, to do, it's going to do wonders for them in terms of bringing the bigs out in offense, getting a guy like Jay Crowder in the mix. And if he's making shots, I think it's going to hurt them a lot. Uh, but the problem is he was only shooting 25% against the Celtics. Uh, they need him to shoot well so that they can get bigs out defending the perimeter so they can create passing lanes and, and playmaking lanes for, for our Miami's guards. Um, and not to mention the fact that they have Jimmy Buckets. I mean, he's proven to be one of the most clutch players in the playoffs, only behind Jamal Murray. Um, he went you know, 10 for 17 and 2 for 5 from 3 during clutch moments, which makes him one of the most clutch performers in the playoffs. And, you know, this team is comprised of guys who represent heat culture, undeniable work ethic. And you can see it between plays. We talked about it before, Shep and I, you know, during tangibles, the communication, you know, when something breaks down, um, they're right there to pick each other back up. The communication is excellent on and off the court. And I think that's going to be the difference for the Heat is their, is their chemistry and their overall hunger for the game. Sherm, he brings up Jimmy Buckets, and obviously you can't talk about the Heat without discussing Jimmy Butler. <laughs> When the Sixers lost him in free agency last season, I thought to myself right away, oh, that's it for the Sixers. They're not, they're not going to be competing for much this year, and that, that turned out to be true. Is Butler at that top level of elite players in the NBA? You know, we think of LeBron, Durant, Anthony Davis, Antetokounmpo. Does Butler belong in that conversation, or is he at like a tier below it? I think from a, a style points perspective, people would say that he's a tier below. But I tell you what, I, I want that dog. <laughs> when everything's on the line, I want that guy who, who's coming from the dirt that's grimy about it and, and his skill to match that griminess. And, and I, I think Jimmy Butler has all those intangibles plus the skill set to back it up. And also it's, it's one of those things like when he, you mentioned Philadelphia, he didn't fit in Philadelphia because Philadelphia ate with knives and forks. Jimmy eats with his hands. <laughs> and and when a guy doesn't understand eating with utensils, he really doesn't get along. He's out of place. And I thought that was what Philadelphia was for Jimmy Butler. He was he was in a situation with a lot of talent around him. A little too pretty. But, yeah, they didn't have the griminess that he needed. Now we get to Miami with, quote, unquote, less talent on paper. But they've got the griminess, and Jimmy can lead that group. He can't lead that other group because they don't understand it. So I, I think that, yes, he's on that second level by a lot of people's standards, 
but he's standing here when Antetokounmpo's at home, right? He's still standing, so that says something, and he's doing it. And we talk about LeBron and his ability to just lead guys that are maybe not on the level that they need to be to get to a championship. Look who Jimmy Butler's leading to a final. He's got some rookies around him. He's got Bam Adebayo, who's developing into a great player. It's a team that wasn't in the playoffs last year. But what else do they have, Deej? They don't have anything else that we look at and we like get all googly-eyed about in terms of of talent and superstar ability. Well, if you compare them to Milwaukee, it, it you can't say that they have that much more. They have far less. Absolutely. They don't have another All-Star. Absolutely. Adebayo an All-Star this year? I, I don't remember. But, you know, Milwaukee has Middleton, uh, Lopez, guys who yeah. finish in first place every year. You, These guys finished fifth. You know what I appreciate about Miami as well is the fact that I know we, we spoke a lot about Jimmy and, and, and Bam, but I'm sure you can attest to this to it. I'm sure AR as well is the style of play. It's not the traditional basketball, one-on-one basketball we see today. These guys are constantly running. Tyler Hero, Duncan yeah. Robinson, they're on the move 24-7 coming off of screens, pin downs, back, reverse. Um to get shots right so you know just that aspect alone is just an, it's an it's a whole different concept a whole different mentality that you have to prepare for that most of these teams aren't um ready for at this point so you know even that that aspect alone i, I really appreciate watching them andy i i love your your x's and o's and your the way you look analytically at some of this i'm gonna ask you about um, the matchup for bam at a bio in this is he like how how is he going to I- impact the series? Is he going to have to guard Davis? Is he going to end up guarding LeBron? What are the Lakers going to do to to limit his physicality? Well, I think he's going to wind up having to guard a multitude of players. Uh, I think that his physicality brings a lot to the table. I think that he's not worried about any position that he guards. You know, I recently heard Coach Kyle Parry talk about that he created a new position for the game, which is a, a point center. Uh, he's averaging, you know, he's not quite on the same level as Jokic in terms of court vision, but he's also averaging 5.2 assists. So you got to respect his playmaking ability um, as well as his ability to take over a game. He had a career-high 32 points against Boston, uh, maybe one of the biggest games on the, on the, on the stage of, of the playoffs. So there's no doubt that he has the confidence. Uh, his leadership, his vocal skills, are, I think it's what's going to take him over the top in terms of commanding that respect from the team and the Lakers. and. I think they can ride this wave. I think he's ready for the challenge, and, and, and his shoulders are broad enough to take on that challenge. Shep, I hadn't really uh, noticed much about Tyler Hero until you kind of you started bringing up his name, at least in the context of talking to me, in the first round series mm-hmm. against Indiana. Mm-hmm. Can he, as a 20-year-old, continue doing this? Under the glare and the, the limelight of the NBA Finals, do you expect him to continue just doing more of the same? Or is L.A. going to have some sort of method to slow him down and frustrate him and maybe show that he is just a 20-year-old kid? I think you know he's con- going to continue to do the same because it's not just him per se. That, that this whole Miami team, like I said before, they have eight guys that are scoring in double figures for this team. Those are the eight guys that are playing the bulk of the minutes. So I think just based on how they play, these guys pick and find their spots and then you know really allow the game to come to them over the over the course of the of the game. So um, even if he doesn't have a, a great game tonight, he'll definitely come out and, and you know pick things back up. 
Uh, and then you have the leadership of Jimmy and, and those guys that really get these young guys going. Also, a guy like Duncan Robinson, who I have to have to shout out because that's a former Michigan Wolverine, one of my people. I don't know. Sherm's over there. I don't know. We don't even know what school he went to. Wow. BCU, wow. man. Wow. But yeah, no, he, Rams. You know, wow. he's at you know about 14 points per game, four rebounds, and he's really he's really shown improved over the last the last little bit. And you know, I mentioned it last week. He's a guy that's been, you know, in gyms, been, you know, mentored for the longest time. I played with a guy, um, Darnell Harris, who was, you know, he, he was pretty much his ball boy, his water boy in his high school team. So I think he's one of those guys that just have that humility and just constantly learning, constantly improving. And that's what's going to allow him to be impactful no matter what which team he's playing. Show, the Lakers, Showtime, whoever the, in the NBA Finals, wherever it's going to be, he's just going to constantly learn, constantly improve. Throwing some shade. Can you believe this guy's president, but man? I get it. My school goes to tournaments because we don't get. Whoa, bad. whoa, whoa! I'm just Look saying. Where, where, where are we going right now? I'm, where I'm, are we going? <laughs> I'm just saying. The tournament's important when you go to college. For some schools, that's where we went with it. It is Final Fours too, but then then again, I mean, didn't want to say all that, of but. us in the room. You know, I didn't play, but I mean, all our schools have been to the Final Four at some point. We do that. We do you that. Know, we got Syracuse, Michigan, VCU, and of course. Still, the defending champion, Virginia You know, Cavaliers. we have a little bit of an issue. You and I, <laughs> that whole Virginia stuff, you know. I can't believe it took 30 minutes to, to yeah. come up. Yeah, we have a state issue. <laughs> we do, in-state. Sherm, I wanted to ask you about something that maybe it's just me, and you tell me if I'm wrong. There's something about this Miami Heat team maybe reminds me a bit of last year's NBA champion Toronto Raptors. You bring in a dog, as you called him, changes the culture completely, changes the way some of the players approach work on a daily basis, approach the game. Am, am I am I crazy to, to have a little bit of a comparison between these two sides? No, there's, there is some comparison. I will say the biggest non-comparison is that the Raptors, they were perennial playoff team fighting to get to the Eastern Conference Finals. When Kawhi came in, I mean, he came to a team that was very good, just didn't have what it took to get to the next level. Jimmy went to Miami and changed it, period. He didn't go to a team that was fighting for the Eastern Conference Finals. He went to a team that was fighting to make the playoffs. So I think that that's the difference. But to your point, did Kawhi come in and tighten up how Kyle dealt with things. Did he come in and tighten up Pascal, come and tighten up Norm Powell, kind of show them a different way of getting to that next level? Absolutely. Did Jimmy come in and show guys on that 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 young roster for Miami how to get better and how every day matters in terms of what you bring to practice, what you bring to games, how you conduct yourself? I believe he did the same thing. So there's a comparison on that level, but I just say that Toronto was way ahead of schedule in terms of their success when Kawhi came as opposed to when Jimmy landed in Miami. I, I, I'm not one to disagree with you too much. You know, Goran Dragic had been to an East Finals in, in 2016. Uh, to me, Adebayo is kind of this year's Pascal Siakam. I, I know Miami did not make the playoffs last year, but they were kind of... Uh, did Wade play last year? Was was he on the team last year, or he retired Listen, the year before? With the way this season went, I don't know what season is what they right now. They all kind of blur into hundred yeah, percent. It feels like it feels like there there were two seasons, and Miami definitely came back a different squad. And you can imagine that 
what they had picked up from Jimmy Butler in the regular seat the regular regular season right. impacted what they did before the bubble. Um, I, you know, I, I don't know. There, there, there is something to the Heat that, like, what did they learn in that period before the bubble started? I think the addition of Crowder and Iguodala helped as well because you got a bit more toughness, you got some leadership, and it just elevated the play of, of guys around. So I think that was also a big part, it just just understanding. And, again, I think with them it's, it, had, it boils down to a lot of chemistry. Pat Riley, you know, I keep harping on Pat Riley, but he's, you know, he's at the, the helm of this, at the, the head of the snake. Um, and the guy that has, you know, championship pedigree. Nine, I believe it's nine. He has nine championships, whether it be from player, coaching, whatever. Um, so he just instilling that in his guys and just recruiting the right guys to fit the right puzzle is really what I see with them. Uh, Andy, we're going to give you, before we go around and get predictions from anybody, from everybody, what, let's get a last word from you on what you expect in this, this finals, 2020 NBA finals. I mean, it's going to be a dogfight. I, you know, I, I think there are so many narratives. There's so many levels to uh, this series and, you know, interpersonal relationships and, and uh, you know, uh, different storylines. That it's, I just want to see great basketball. You know, I would be really let down if, if this was a blowout on either end, uh, which I doubt will be. You know, it's the finals. Everybody's going to come prepared. Um, but I think, I think L.A., you know, has the star power. I think they're locked in enough. Uh, I ultimately don't think that Miami has, uh, you know, the depth over 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 this series to take to take out LA. You know, especially with LeBron on his mission, AD's playing about as good as he can be. You know, the stars are doing what they have to do. It's all going to come down to their role players. Um, but but I like LA in this series. How many games? Oof, don't do it to me. I, <laughs> I like I like LA in, in, in six. There we go. Okay, Sherm, what? Uh... You making a call? Yeah, I, I'd agree with with Andy. I, I think that uh, L.A. has too much for the Miami Heat, and uh, I think LeBron is going to be too much overall with Anthony Davis. Uh, I could see, I mean, I could see this going six games. Wouldn't surprise me if it went five, but four grinders. You know what I mean? Games that are tough, and maybe one blowout in there. But uh, I would say. As early as five, as long as six, but that would be it. Lakers. Yep. First of all, I'm going to say the Lakers are going to get popped in the mouth tonight, so that'll be that'll be one. But I'm going Lakers in six. We have a tendency around here to to pick the same thing. Sherm, you'll be happy to know that Shep, Andy, and I all picked Toronto in Game Seven, so we were uh, we were pretty wrong on that one. Um, I'm gonna I'm gonna take the Lakers. I they're the favorite. I I don't see any way LeBron and AD can lose this. But I'm gonna go and f- I'm gonna uh, confidently say five. That's what they've shown. That's what they're doing in these playoffs. Not that Miami hasn't shown they're a great team too. But I do think this is by far the best team Miami is playing. By far the two best players that they're gonna have to contend with. And the Lakers just seem to be running over everybody. They have that one hiccup, you know, Shep. If if the Lakers get popped in the mouth in Game One, I'm not going to be terribly surprised because that happened to them uh, in the Houston series, and I don't know whoever they played in the first round. I can't even remember anymore. I uh, want to take a quick pause to shout out our sponsor, Henderson Brewery on Sterling Road in Toronto. The best beer is the beer you love. Special special thanks to those guys for uh, for being a sponsor for us on Jim Rats and Joints. 
Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST. Code ACAST. Back to basketball, back to NBA for one more topic, and then we're going we're gonna to get personal with Mr. Sherman Hamilton. But there was a bit of news early this week that didn't have to do with the NBA Finals. It probably happened because this team did not get to the NBA Finals, and that was the, the firing of, of Doc Rivers. Been with the Clippers, uh, head coach, and I think uh, head of personnel, or general manager even. Uh, he was there for seven years. Uh, I've, I've met Doc a couple of times. Uh, I've seen him speak in, you know, uh, conference situations. He's won an NBA championship. I don't see how it was his fault that his team blew a 3-1 to one lead uh, against um, the Denver Nuggets in that semifinal series. But at the same time, three times in his coaching career, his team has coughed up a 3-1 lead in a playoff series. So it, it, it's hard to... It's hard to unravel what what went wrong there. Sherm, I I guess the the question is, was it fair that Doc Rivers took the fall for this and got dismissed by the Clippers? Expectations is a (laughs) you-know-what. And when you get a Kawhi Leonard in your squad... You're supposed to win. you're, You're expected to win. And you're expected to at least face that guy across town in LeBron in the Western Conference Finals. When that doesn't happen... Somebody has to answer for that. And it's not going to be your general manager. It's not going to be your owner. It's not going to be the player. The coach is the one that's going to take the hit. Surprised that they fired him. I just thought that based on what Kawhi did in Toronto, maybe the expectation was out of whack. He came to Toronto, first-year head coach and Nick Nurse. They win a championship. He's going home to L.A. Well, you got to win another one. You're Kawhi Leonard. You just did it. It's difficult to do. And and I think going into the bubble, the feel for the L.A. Clippers was that, to me, was that everybody really didn't want to be there. This was a team that was a bit splintered in terms of their decision to want to be in the bubble. And I think it showed, you know, some of the stories surrounding the Clippers. I mean, obviously, Lemon Pepper Lou was an issue, you know. <laughs> Montrez was was a bit mixed up in that that bubble situation. And I just think that collectively they weren't what they were before the bubble. And what they were before the bubble was a team that was still trying to figure out who they were. Paul George and Kawhi Leonard weren't on the court as much as they needed to be for two guys that were trying to figure things out before the season was suspended. And then Paul George, I mean, he struggled. And I, I really applaud the fact that he was very open and honest about his mental health and what was going on with him personally. I I think that was an amazing thing for him to do. But you could see that he wasn't that guy that they needed him to be on the floor. And that's one of the reasons why Kawhi went there and got him there because he thought that he could be that guy. So when you put all that together and you, you try to figure out the reasons why the Clippers didn't achieve what everybody expected them to, I don't think that you look at Doc Rivers and say it's all your fault. 
Could Doc Rivers have potentially done some things while Denver was running them down and stepping on them and going by them? Yeah, you could argue that from a tactical perspective that think there were things that Doc should have done to alter what was happening. But I just think that overall, you just don't look at the situation and say, Doc, you're the reason why you're gone. You know, one thing I, you know, if you're looking at the immediate, if you're looking at this year, you know, there's a lot of variables, a lot of factors that could play into, okay, maybe you give Doc another year. But if you're looking at the broader picture and saying, okay, in the last seven years, looking at the caliber of players that have come through, come through the Clippers, you know, I think there's an expiration date. And, and like you said, somebody's going to take fault for it. And if, if management doesn't make a move right now, then, you know, that could be them next year or being replaced. And then you look at it from a standpoint, Kawhi and Paul have, I believe, next year or next year have expiring contracts as well, right? Those guys are free agents. So something had to be done. And I think with the with the Clippers, the, the big thing is in the NBA, you're evaluated as a culture, evaluated, evaluated on how well you develop young talent or success, right? The, given the players that have come through, you know, L.A. there, they're not really Doc's not being evaluated on developing talent because he's had some really good players. So that's really you know it, it's tough, but I, I you know I love Doc. I think he's a great uh, motivator. But this did have an exp- expiry date, and in, in was where you know I'm concerned. The, the, these are great points, and the, the Clippers have failed to make it to the conference finals. And, and Sherm, you're right. The L.A. L.A. West Finals, it, it just had to happen. I mean, if if the Clippers don't make the NBA Finals. You can probably live with it, but the fact that they're missing out, even though it wasn't going to be played in Los Angeles, it's in the bubble in Orlando. But I feel like an LA LA West Finals was mandatory um, for something to not happen there. But at the same time, Andy, the Clippers were up three one in the series, so Doc was doing something right, and then it just kind of all went to shit in the final week. And really, to me. Paul George should be taking more of the responsibility for this, whether him himself or, or you know, the the basketball public or Twitter or whoever are the, you know, the arbitra- arbitrators of all this these days. Th- there was something going right there, right? It was just like a few days and all of a sudden they choked. I'll go back to my original question for your thought, Andy. Is it fair that Doc is taking the heat for this? Well, I, I think it would be, you know... Uh recently heard that, you know, Steve Ballmer met with Paul George and Kawhi Leonard, uh, you know, in terms of bringing Doc back, and it, it would be anything but, you know, it's blasphemous to think that Paul George would have anything bad to say about Doc Rivers or pass the blame, because we all know about his performance in the playoffs this year. Uh, but I think that Steve Ballmer owes Doc Rivers, uh, uh, you know, a massive paycheck, which I, he obviously <laughs> gave him, uh, to be where they are right now. I think he owes a lot of the success that he has to him. Um, you know, don't forget that this is the guy who, who guided the Clippers, you know, out of a, out of a Donald Sterling scandal in 2014. You know, he, he navigated his way through that with a team that was, uh, you know, a team that was also comprised of a lot of talent. Uh, and it could have gone south quick, given the optics of everything. Um, you know, he, he had one of the best regular season. He had a three, 356 and 208 regular season record. But at the end of the day, it's all about the optics. What have you done for me lately? You know, he's got a 27-32 and 32 postseason record, um, and he has fumbled the ball in terms of, you know, the talent that, that he's had uh, and the success that he's had in the playoffs. Um, but, you know, you do owe him a great deal uh, uh, of, of respect to get all those free agents to L.A., you know, to get to the point where you have those big signings in Kawhi and Paul George. You know, he's part of the reason why that they can build such a strong team there. 
So uh, I don't I don't know that it was justifiable, but I know the optics of the NBA, and uh, you know I think that they had to ultimately, uh, just like Coach Casey, you know, winning his coach uh, uh, NBA Coach of the Year, and they got him out of there the next year. Uh, you know, it's just how the NBA works, and, and it's what have you done for me lately? Sometimes a fresh face is what you need in order to get past uh, a certain point uh, for your franchise. It's an interesting take. You know, Coach Casey had a few years with certain personnel. I feel like this was a bit of a panic move by the Clippers, considering that really the window here is only a couple years. They traded all those draft picks. Kawhi's going to be a free agent at the end of next year. He might leave. He could go to the Lakers, or as some people like to hope, he might uh, he might come back to the Raptors. One thing I, I want to bring up with you, Sherman, and I, I want to bring this up because um, in all the years I've known you, and I, I feel like the first time I met you was in 2000 when you were uh, with the Canadian Olympic team heading off to Sydney, and we're going to talk a bit about that a little bit more. Um, but I've noticed you on your social media, on Twitter. I've seen some posts from you during this era that we're in right now, Black Lives Matter, where you know you had kind of political statements, and I, I haven't heard you as outward with it as as I noticed from you this summer. And I can't help but but see in the NBA right now, a couple of black coaches have been fired. And it feels like there's less and less black coaches now in the NBA. Are we starting to have a problem here? I think that one thing about situations that we went through over the summer, you know, with the racial injustices uh, south of the border is that there's been a trend in terms of there's an uproar immediately. A lot of dust is kicked up in the air and then, there's this leveling off to declining interest in it after a while. There's the, the horns aren't blowing. The sirens aren't sounding. It becomes back to business as usual. And I think this summer has been something that has been very different. Um, so to, to address the fact that you say I'm a bit more active on, on social media based on, you know, me posting more, it's because there's a time and place for that. And right now, is the time and it's the place to voice these things and, and let everybody know where you stand. There's no more time to straddle the fence. You got to be clear about where you stand, how you see things. So I don't have any time for you. Done with you. So I think that clarity that I'm trying to put out there is not about trying to be, look at me. It's about saying, this is where I am on this. You can agree or disagree, but just make it be known where you stand. Uh, in terms of the, the the minority or black head coaches in the league, I mean, I did hear today that Doc is being talked to with the Philadelphia 76ers position, but it it just kind of, just from a logical perspective, it kind of blows your mind to think that a league that is, what, 75%? percent black. Black? Mm -hmm. Has so few black head coaches and so few black Four. people men or women, in management as well. It, it, it's, it's one of those things that just from a apples-to-apples perspective doesn't make sense to me. I understand economics. I understand how the social situation is. I think that there's got to be more of a, 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 an integral effort for everybody to understand the value of having 
black head coaches and, and black people in management that not only players, but people working through organizations can look up to and say, there's a chance for me to get there one day. Mm-hmm. If I do the right things, they got there so I can get there. Right now, we don't see enough of that. And in saying that, I will say that the NBA, to me, is the most progressive league of the big four in North America to really promote the fact that they want to be as equal and they want to give opportunities as much as possible. They're not there yet, but I appreciate and I applaud their their efforts and their direction. Uh, but I, I do think, you know, there's – we talk about our friend Steve Nash. Mm-hmm. When he got that job in Brooklyn, a lot of people said, well, look how many people he jumped over. And Steve is great. Steve says, yes, I understand it. I know there's privilege involved in this situation. I don't blame him for taking the job. There's only 30 of those jobs in the league. You take it when you get it. Mm -hmm. He's not supposed to turn it down for people who aren't getting it. But but he's aware. And he's willing to say, I get it. I understand what's happening. So even a situation like that in this moment for it to happen still shows that there is a bit of a insensitive way of looking at it. Steve deserves it. Steve is a great basketball mind. He, and he's not the first person to not have coached in the league to get a head coaching job. So he's not breaking any barrier that way. But it still looks and feels a way based on the fact of what's happening and how we're discussing the fact that, you know, black head coaches are at a shortage right now in the NBA. And it, it, it's disappointing to when you see the raw number of that. You know, this guy, Shep, has gone from basketball <laughs> broadcast basketball player to basketball broadcaster. Now I consider you an advocate, a leader. I think this guy should run for prime minister of <laughs> Canada minister. one day. I just want a free meal, man. Sherm for Prime Minister. No free meal. I just want a free meal. <laughs> Prime Minister Hamilton. No, Sherm for President. Let, let, let's. I, I think that was uh, a great response to, to what I had to ask Sherm, and I, I, I appreciate um, you having the candor to, to speak to us about it. I, I want to make it personal now in, in the last little, little bit of time we have here, and I want to ask both Shep and Andy. I'll start with Shep. When, when did you first become aware of Sherman Hamilton, the basketball player? Was it as an NCAA player at Virginia Commonwealth in Richmond, Virginia, a city I've been to many times? Was it playing for the national team? What, when, when did Sherman kind of come into your consciousness as somebody who was in the fabric at an early time in Canadian basketball? That was the Olympics. What was that? 20, Sydney, 2000? 2000, yeah, 2000 Olympics. I remember watching it. It was a little pup. And I remember I was living at 76 Elsa Vine. We had Leslie and Finch. And I used to wake up every morning. I, games were on at like seven, six, seven o'clock in the morning. I was supposed to... I don't know what I was doing up then, but yeah, I remember watching Sherm then, and then um, later on had the, you know, was fortunate enough to play for the national team, and I think that year you were coaching. Um, that that was the first, you know, real interaction we had, um, and yeah, ever since then it's just been good. Like you've been a, a tremendous mentor to me. I always pick up my phone and and hit you with any question, whether it be basketball when I was when I was playing, whether it be life or now, you know, broadcasting. Um, and you know, Sherm School is a fan, so if he takes a day or two, it doesn't he'll get back to you. But <laughs> but no, it, it's been good. Like anything I have ever needed, just kind of put me out there like that. <laughs> anything I've ever needed since day one, you know. And then obviously, I've seen you play, modeled, you know, took some of your couple of your moves, modeled some of the, try to get my guard game on, and and now you know, just you know, studying what you do 
broadcasting and just trying to take some of, take some of your you know what you put out there and, and just learn from you. When I was a kid uh, growing up in in Toronto and Stouffville, Ontario, and just you know reading Toronto Star Sports section as a kid. I, I did always read about the Canadian national team. They used to call, remember Wonger, the Cagers, right? They, I never understood why they referred to basketball players as Cagers, but um, I always read about Leo Routon's, his role. Was he going to play for Canada? Was he not? Is he is he young? Um, Andy Routon's, uh, you played for the Canadian national team. You grew up knowing what it was all about and, and the value of it. What, when did you see Sherm play and what... How have you kind of watched his career as a player and as a broadcaster? Yeah, so, uh, you know, obviously you guys know I didn't grow up in Canada. Uh, you know, I only got to hear bits and pieces about Sherm and, and his illustrious career at BCU um, and, and what he did for Canada uh, and the national team. Um, you know, I, I, once I started playing with the national team myself, you know, Sherm, Sherm was the assistant coach. Um, and, you know, that's when I really learned, you know, his impact on the game. Uh, the fact that he got to play uh, in EuroLeague uh, with Javieris in Lithuania um, and, and knowing what kind of outreach playing for the national team had for a guy coming from Canada and what kind of uh, experience and opportunity that gives you. And, and Sherm took me under his wing. You know, I was a kid coming in with, you know, you know maybe too much ego on my behalf. But, you know, Sherm, Sherm, Sherm showed me the ropes. You know, I've made a lot of mistakes as a young player in the national team. And him having that experience, I don't think that I would have achieved, you know, some of the success that I had without him there and navigating me through those waters. So, you know, you know my, my appreciation goes out to Sherm big time and our relationship has grown over the years. And he's become one of my, my dad's better friends as well. So, I mean, Sherm is uh, Sherm's a legend. And we, we are, Chef and I are both so appreciative of him and what he's done for us in the national team. I will say this. First of all, you guys are full of shit. <laughs> but but I will say this. These two guys, Javon and Andy, were when I coached with the national team with, with uh, Leo, um, these two guys were some of the most hungry, hardworking guys that I worked with. And and I I actually I coached Jamal uh, excuse me, Javon on the student team, yeah. on the university team. Is that he, where that I was yeah, in Turkey. Where, where, him and a few other guys were about to boycott a game. What? They weren't going to play. I had to go into the room and sit down with these guys and be like, no "We're way. not doing this right now. We are not going to not go to." I went into the room because we're waiting for them. I go into the room. These guys are in their sweats. They're chilling. They've got no intentions of going to the game. They're like, "We're done." I'm like, "You're not done." And I'm explaining to them, "Look." This is a now thing. We've got to look down the road and think about this in the future, how this looks. Mm-hmm. Eventually got them to get their stuff together and get to the game. But it's understanding, being in his position, being in a situation where you feel like you're being screwed by the program and knowing what that's like and not having a recourse, not having anything or anybody stand up for you was something I was too aware of. I wasn't going to let it happen to guys like Javon, who I know had talent and I knew had the ability to go further with their basketball career. And situations like that are what they would use to just kind of write you off and throw you to the side and just completely forget about you. But me being a coach, being through the program and understanding how this system works, I couldn't allow him or the guys that were with him 
to do that to themselves, even though they were upset and they were angry. Can Can you remember maybe what he said that in that moment, Shep? Man, I've I've had so many lessons from Sean. I don't remember what <laughs> where to start. I said I swore at them because they 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 knew the I knew the language they were talking and they knew the language I was talking. So in that moment, it was like none of this is happening. It was more like the ignorant older brother that's coming at you like. You're not doing this to yourself because I know what that turns into. You don't know, but I know what it turns into, and I know how you'll be blackballed. We're not having that happen. I've seen it happen too many times. And that's that's the sort of mentorship that a lot of us lacked, especially growing up. And just you know, that's why this becomes the relationships you build from this become so much more important because it, it grooms you for the men that we've become today. And I think that's the most important thing about this whole you know, basketball and, and, and what it's provided us. Uh, you know, fortunately, we've been able to make some money. Sherm, you've made a hell of a career even outside of, of playing. Um, likewise, Andy, but it's now just, you know, a moment like that really changed and shaped my life. Like, I could, it could have really gone spiraled downward, down, downward. And like you said, once you're blackballed and then, you know, that's taken away from you, where do you go from there? Absolutely. You know, a lot of us don't really have an identity or didn't know who we were or have an identity outside of basketball as we were coming up young and immature. And even with, with Andy, I mean, having a chance to coach Andy was, a, was an interesting time because Andy was playing for his father. So he's – I remember the tryouts that Andy was at. And I forgot what player it was, but Andy must have elbowed a guy in the face. And I went to his father. Leo was the head coach. I was the assistant coach. And I was like, if if I was trying out for this team, I would have drilled Andy. <laughs> and I said, nobody's going to drill him because his father's the head coach. And, and, and Leo said to me, if someone drills him, I'd applaud him. But when, you were gonna say that, when, yeah. Andy, when Andy talks about, you know, a little bit more ego than he should have had, I loved that about him. He was confident. He came in and he didn't think anybody was better than him. And that's the way you're successful. And with Andy, the biggest thing that we talked about was he was such a he was such a good shooter. I mean, he probably still is. I haven't seen him play in a while, but he was such a good shooter. It's like the athlete that's always trying to prove to everybody that they're more than an athlete. Andy wanted to prove that he was more than just a shooter. And I said to Andy, because he's handling the ball and he would turn it over sometimes. I'm like, Andy, listen, a missed shot for you is like two points on the board. A turnover does nothing for us. And Andy is throwing these one-handed passes trying to thread the needle because he's so unselfish. He, He wanted to... He wanted to help his team and help his team be better. Yeah, (laughs) but he but he was he was such a good shooter. I wanted him to shoot it every time he touched it. And Andy wanted to be a rounded player and wanted to move the basketball. So we had a lot of discussions on the bus, you know, in the hotel, just conversations about you're a great shooter. Once they come to you, then you make the play. And he obviously figured it out. He's become a great professional basketball player. So there you go. <laughs> Put that thing in the bucket. That's what you were born to do, man. Now, it reminds, Andy, it reminds me of the game. Uh, I used to hear about it from your dad a lot where he scored 40 points in a game in Europe and he never passed the ball to Jay Billis. Jay Billis, yeah. And he, and he said something like, well, not passing was just as good and you know, <laughs> not getting the assist and shooting. A- Andy, do you, is, is what Sherm just said correct? Absolutely. I mean, I remember I struggled, especially, you know, in the international game, you know, turnovers are so crucial because, you know, not only do you give, you know, the other team momentum, but, you know, the offenses are just, uh, 
you know, they're so much more intricate, the ball movement. So, so when you, you know, you take your time with your sets, uh, you know, getting a basket late in the shot clock means a lot, you know. Uh, and I was, I was turning the ball over at a pretty high clip. So that, you know, nothing kills the team's confidence more than, um, you know, getting a good stop, coming down and turning the ball over transition early in the clock. So it was just about, you know, understanding how Sherm was, was trying to convey his message and not taking it personally. You know, because as a young guy, you know, you, you tend to get in your feelings about a lot of things. But, um, you know, understanding where he was coming from, I think that really, you know, shaped my, my views on, on how I needed to play the game going forward. And, uh, you know, it helped me tremendously. You know, it helped me tremendously, you know, gave me a sense of confidence in myself and, you know, learning what my boundaries were as a player and, and just, uh, you know, trying to make a career out of what I do best. Love it. And I got to say, you know, all, all three of you, I, I've said this to all of you individually. You played for the Canadian national team. Automatically, that makes each of the three of you heroes to me. And just uh, having you know personal relationships and being friends with, with all three of you means the world to me. Sherm, we're, we're almost out of time. I just want to throw this last one at you. What is the future of the Canadian national team? There wasn't an Olympics this year because of the COVID, uh, COVID-19 virus. There's supposed to be an Olympics in 2021. Canada has a last chance to get there. We hope there would be a, a tournament in Victoria, hopefully in June. If they could finish in first place, they would get to the Olympics. What's the future of this squad? Where, where, where do they go from here? It's been 20 years since the Olympics. Yeah, it's been way too long since a Canadian men's team has made the Olympics. Um, I, I think that the program from a talent perspective is off the charts. I mean, and, and I think they finally clearly find who the alpha dog is and it's Jamal it's Jamal Murray and I, I think what we saw is the influx of NBA players from Canada kind of created this false narrative we had a lot of players in the NBA but they were role players good players quality players on teams that were helping teams win in the NBA but they were role players we're finally seeing an alpha dog which is what Steve Nash was Steve Nash was a leader on a very good team in Phoenix, and he was the guy. Jamal is now the guy in Denver. So you need that guy. But the rest of the guys, now that talent around Jamal is so much better than what we had on an overall basis that the expectation is going to go through the roof now. Now, as Javon and Andy know, it's a different game internationally. You need to play together. You need to go over there, go through those qualification tournaments, play those nine games in 11 days, and figure out how to win on the international level. Once that happens, we as a country will be in medal conversations in every tournament that we play in because of the level of talent. No doubt, but they need the reps together and I've always said this to the program. At the end of the day, you need your players to play. Forget about trying to find the money and sponsorship and all this stuff. Winning sells itself. And if you get these players together, they are going to win. And they're going to win for a long time because our talent pool is not shrinking. It's expanding as the years go on. So we are going to continually win. Once we start winning, you're not going to have to knock on doors. People are going to come see you. And I think that now that we have a clear alpha dog in Jamal Murray and we have some players around him that are going to 
be ex- excellent international players. I think our program has a chance if the right steps are taken to be a world leader in terms of basketball because the women have been doing it for a while. True. The women have been great. They just haven't gotten the exposure that they deserve. Top five in the yeah. world. Yeah. Top five in the world. Sure. Yes. Sure, but you don't, if you don't mind my asking, sure. Uh, you know, Shep and I had the opportunity to play, uh, you know, for a world championship on that stage. Uh, we never got to the level of the Olympics, which is something that I think he and I both still dream about. Is there anything comparable in your basketball career to playing in the Olympics? No, because uh, I, I think when you talk about the Olympics, for me, first of all, we missed the 96 Olympics by one game in 95. We missed qualifying for two Olympics. Uh-huh. And and getting to 2000, my biggest moment wasn't even on the court. I mean, the first jump ball against Australia in Australia to open the Olympics was amazing. But the biggest thing for me was the opening ceremonies. Like my mother spotted me. <laughs> yeah, my mother spotted me. Her son was at the Olympics. And she told me that. And that was, that's everything. You know what I mean? Like, she gets a chance to say that's her son. Mm-hmm. And to me, that was the biggest moment of the Olympics outside of basketball. Mm-hmm. But actually playing for the country and we had some success in that Olympics, it, there's nothing that beats that. I mean, the world is watching. Hey, that, that gave me a shiver right up my spine, no Absolutely, doubt about it. Yeah. And you broadcast the NBA Finals. Another Amazing. crowning achievement Amazing. in your career. And now you have appeared on the Gym Rats and Joints podcast. <laughs> I, I, can, I can be laid to rest in peace you now. You retire now. You're I, I'm good. Player. Life is great right well, now. We're, we're going to thank uh, Mr. Sherman Hamilton for coming in today. Obviously a great friend of all of ours. You have all our respect and admiration and uh, especially gratitude for you taking the time today. So great to see you, Sherm. Hey, you guys are doing a great thing here, and I'm so glad that this is getting off the way that it is. You guys are awesome. Thanks for having thanks, me. Thanks. thanks so thank you, Sherm, for uh, for A.R., Andy Routens, Shep, Javon yeah. Shepard. This has been the Canadian National Team episode. Uh, it's been so great to see you guys and to everybody out there. Thanks for listening, and enjoy the 2020 NBA Finals. We'll see you next week. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. 